welcome back to the Not Rich Yet podcast, where we discuss all things money, entrepreneurship, and leadership to help you uncover opportunities to build wealth in ways that are meaningful to you. I'm your host, Jasmine Sukhnanen. I'm a financial journalist, and I have over six years of experience in the media industry. I hope your Friday is off to a good start. This week has been really busy for me, but busy in a good way. So on this podcast, I like to do intro calls with potential guests. It's just a chance for us to learn more about each other's backgrounds and experiences. And I often learn things about them that I wouldn't have known if I had just Googled their work and called it a day. Many times, this new information is what helps me decide what the topic of our episode should be. All that to say, I've had quite a few great intro calls this week, which means you have a lot of great guests to look forward to in the coming weeks. Today's guest, though, is Cortland Jones. She's the founder of an online marketplace where creative individuals can go to sell or market their services. It's called the Design Database, and she basically describes it as a cross between Fiverr and Etsy. Today, Cortland is discussing her experiences with getting her business started, including some of the challenges she encountered along the way when it comes to launching a tech platform. She also touches on her ongoing process of raising a round of investment funding for her business. Cortland, thank you so much for being on the show today. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Of course. So let's start off by talking a little bit about the design database. Um, What is the design database and where did your idea for this come from? It is a platform to help female and non-binary artists find jobs and community. So I pitch it as Fiverr meets Etsy, where it is a job platform for creatives to be able to meet higher quality clients, but also to build connections amongst other creatives to help them gain inspiration from each other and to really build new friendships, but also to have a place to sell their actual products too. So it's it's where I say the Etsy part because they they are able to sell their, their prints, their clothing, their jewelry, whatever they create. All, all, all on the same platform. So it's really a place to have artists feel empowered to earn more, which is the main goal. And my idea came from me being an artist myself and knowing how hard it is to earn enough wages in the field. And we are also the more underserved community in the, the industry. For some reason, male artists are always paid more than all of us and I wanted to really bridge the gap in that and give us more opportunities to earn more to be seen more and to just make better connections for our careers absolutely and I don't know um how many of our listeners have actually you know gone onto the Etsy platform or gone onto the Fiverr platform and created a profile and tried to sell their services. But I have in the past, and it is very hard to sell on those platforms, especially now where we're at a point where 
they've just become so saturated with creators. It's very hard to stand out if mm -hmm. you're new um, and have never had a sale before, have never picked up a Fiverr client before, and therefore have no reviews. It's very difficult. So, um, and also not only that, but, you know, a lot of times it's very normal for uh, individuals to try to source work from more than one platform. So mm -hmm. somebody who is say uh, creating planner designs on Etsy is probably also selling their services as a graphic designer on Fiverr. So now they kind of have to manage um, that that gig on two platforms instead of one, whereas your platform kind of combines the two. Exactly. <laughs> and you actually had um, an unfortunately not so great experience with what you thought was your dream job. Could you tell us a little bit about what happened and how that actually catalyzed your start to uh, beginning your business? Yeah, of course. So prior to my starting my entrepreneurial journey, I was working in corporate for about 12 years. But before I started this new chapter of my life, I had gotten my dream job or a job at my dream company um, in early 2021. And I was so excited for it because I had wanted to be at this place for 10 years. And I was, I finally made it to this company, this amazing, you know, what I thought was going to be an amazing game come true for me. It turned out to be very toxic, very, um, unfortunately, uh, devastating for me in a way, because I, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And not only like the job, just like the environment and who I was having to deal with. Like my boss was extremely controlling, but he was very nice. So it was kind of hard to tell that he was so controlling and toxic. He, he had a way of hiding it well, but what made me most upset and aware of it was that I would design and he would change my designs behind um behind behind the scenes and not tell me about it until it was already published and ready and I was would be wondering why wouldn't he just tell me it was you know bad or tell me he didn't like it or he wanted to change instead of going behind everything and and having it change you know on his own so it, it made really bad uh, environment for me because I was like, do I suck? And if I do, then tell me that so I can fix it and be better. And it was just really like a mind fuck in, to just you know, say it bluntly. It was just really making me feel like I was just doing a terrible job. And I just kept asking him to, you know, why can't I just talk to you about it and like why are you having me feel so bad and to a point where I just couldn't handle it anymore so I just quit because it didn't seem like I should be here anymore if my my artwork isn't being appreciated and you're changing it behind the scenes and why am I even here right I'm so sorry to hear that and honestly also from you know 
this perspective of a creative, like I'm a writer and, you know, there are times where like, you'll typically submit your article, it goes through edits, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, for someone who is a creative person to have your work changed behind your back um, and to just not be told about those changes at all and to see what should have been yours go out there, it kind of also feels like in a way what is going live is no longer yours. You know, that sense of ownership almost feels like it's taking a hit because you're like, yeah, I put the time into this. Yeah, I worked on this. And maybe some of my um, elements and my vision are still present in the finished product, but a lot, you know, some of it is also not me. And it kind of feels like a hit to you, even though it may not have been intended that way. Yeah. And so after I quit, my plan was to be um, a free freelancer full time. But because I hate the sites out there, for, which are you know, um, Upwork and Fiverr, I, I actually don't enjoy those platforms because of their large fees. And, and it, it just to me feels like a waste of, not a waste, but like, it just feels like they are actually stealing more money from me than helping me. So that's really what had me build my platform because I wanted to have a space for creatives to have zero percent um, commission and be able to keep their hard earned money, but also have a place to feel supported, feel empowered and have clients that are paying, paying them their worth, paying them their worth and um, making them gain more experience the right way. Whereas I think a, a lot of the clients on Fiverr to me personally, haven't been, you know, that good in quality. And I've had a lot of bad experiences on those kinds of platforms. So my goal, my company's mission is to really make the experience of finding creative jobs a lot more enjoyable and a lot um, better for us to earn our actual work. Absolutely. I think that one part of, you know, being a freelancer or, uh, you know, selling your own services independently that not a ton of people really talk about is the fact that it takes a mental toll on you to have to constantly go through a difficult, demanding process to even get your work in front of clients. And, you know, there are so many people out there who, enjoy having their own creative services however because of that process it just gets so mentally draining and they often feel like they have no other choice but to just step away from it altogether exactly it's it's really really draining at times yeah and you don't really have a background in tech but you know of course there is a lot of uh, technical aspects that go into building something like the design database. So what were some of the challenges you faced when building a very tech heavy platform 
as someone who doesn't have a background in tech? Well, personally, for me, I am a very hands-on person when it comes to, I think, anything. But for this, it was hard because I had to hire someone else to help me build the back end of the, the platform. So when I did that, I found him online, um, I believe through, I'm not sure which, actually, I forgot which um, where I, I hired him from, but he has been in the field working on building startup platforms for about seven years. So I talked to him and, and he and I connected really easily. And he helped me to build the back end, the actual job portal for the site. But for the front end, I I had it made myself. I did all of the the coding for that part. And that basically because I had I had it learned in school. I, I learned how to code um smaller sites in school. So I needed his help to build, you know, the actual like job sites and the, the um, portal because I couldn't do that hard coding, but I did the front end side and which, which, which was good for me because I wanted it to, to look the way that I want it to look. And it was hard for me to explain my vision to him. So that was hard. And it was also hard because when I wanted to have edits change on the back end, he lives out of out of this um country, so it's hard to talk to him because of a time difference. So when I was sleeping, he was awake, and when I was awake, he was sleeping. So that to me was probably the biggest challenge was having things having small edits be so delayed because of that time difference, and because I had to wait for him to have it done for me. And I was trying, you know, not to be controlling because it's out it's out of you know my hands but I wanted it done a certain way and I had to just really be patient. And that um, was a, a hard for me, honestly, and was kind of like a learning curve for me to, you know, realize that things can be fixed in time. It's not, you know, a huge fire, calm down. Um, but I think also one of the, the biggest problems too was that when the platform had a big issue, I think in the beginning of the site, probably, after our launch, we had some issues that I couldn't fix. And I had to talk to him and he was MIA for a few days and that drove me insane. Um, oh no. <laughs> yeah, so the site wasn't working for a few days and I was getting really stressed out because I had my my clients and my creatives talking to me, asking me, you know, what's happening. And, and it was just a big, um, it was kind of scary because I wanted to explain, oh, you know, it's going to be fixed in a few days, but I wanted to say it in a way that made it seem like I knew, I knew that it was going to be fixed, you know, quickly mm -hmm. and that I wasn't going to have them be delayed. And I wanted to have it, you know, spoken in a way that made them feel secure. And it was, yeah, like that, that's probably the biggest issue is having a, having um, to wait for things to be fixed because I can't do it myself. Absolutely. And um, I hadn't previously realized that you did do some coding before. So apologies for that. Um, I, I can definitely see how that can be really helpful, but that's still a very stressful um, situation to find yourself in. It's, you know, like it, it probably felt like all the fire alarms were going off, like <laughs> all at once. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But, but, but now I know um, well, now I have a team that's larger now. So 
it's better because when things aren't working well, I have others to help me to fix it instead of having to rely on just, you know, just this is um this one guy. Right. Around how much would you say um you ended up spending to get this guy on board to help you figure things out on the back end? So I've invested myself about $25,000 into the site from my own money out of pocket. And yeah, so that's most of it had gone to the development process, but the other, the other money went, went to, went towards the marketing. So I would say maybe, maybe about, maybe about 20 grand for the actual platform and then about the other money went to marketing. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I know that like there are a lot of creative people out there who maybe don't have the technical knowledge to, you know, say code an app themselves from start to finish. So of course, for those individuals, you know, um, hiring someone to do the job is something that they have to consider. And it can be very costly. Yeah, it's been um, a lot easier now because I did receive some grants and some loans. So I, I did invest fully about $42,000. Um, so it, it's, it still isn't where I want it to be, but I was really happy and blessed to be able to at least get extra funding to expand and fix things that I, I had to fix really early on. Yeah, funding is a very important part of uh, building a business, which, you know, for me, before I really started growing my interest in this space, to me, like, I, it wasn't really something I thought about. Like, I didn't really realize that a lot of companies actually seek funding through grants or through investors. Um, but we'll definitely get into that a little bit more later on. But first, tell us what it was like to prepare for your launch day. Oh, God, that was that was the scariest month, <laughs> week ever. Like It was just extremely, extremely stressful. Uh, so when I was doing the front end design myself, I was up until like four in the morning every day, every night, just like nonstop designing and changing things. And it was hard because I didn't think that I was going to be doing any of the designing work for the platform. I mean, I hired him for a reason. So I found out probably about two weeks in that he was not as far um into the project as I hoped he was and we were, were were launching in about two weeks so I was like why is, is isn't this done like this is really stressful um so that's when I had to do my part and design it design the front end uh so close to our launch date and I was up until four in the morning every day every night trying to like have this be built for the the, the, the data site to launch on time that was uh, super scary, super stressful. I spent a lot of time um, with the marketing. So it was already 
known that this was was go going to launch on this day and I couldn't change the launch date. I mean I could have but I didn't want to because it was already you know spread around so much I in hindsight I probably should have have pushed back my launch day a little bit um after I found out that things weren't as fully done as I hoped they were by the time that you know we needed it to be so that was now but now what I've learned now is to just if I need more time, I should take it. So now, now I know, but I was happy that I was able to actually have the skills to design and code the front end to have it launch on time. And that was for me a blessing, but I know that for my expansion, I have to uh, push that, push back my, my launch date because I'm going to do a relaunch next in, in about two months to have the, the new site expanded. So what I launched already in July of last year was just our, our beta site and our alpha site is going to be launching in about two months. So I'm going to have to do a whole nother round of stressful um, stress during that time too. But I think it's better now because I have a team that's bigger and more efficient so I don't have to do as much on the um, designing side and now I can do more on the marketing side and 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 do you know ads for Instagram and and really build my traction with that yeah and once you launched the beta site um last year what was your strategy like for acquiring customers um in those first few months I use my voice on Instagram and on um on other media sites because I I know as a creative myself that I was able to connect in a way that others couldn't. So how it started was I posted kind of I was ranting a little bit on online about um my experience in corporate and how it was kind of toxic and how I had all these issues with my boss and, and being underpaid and underserved and all that. And the reaction from that was so insane because I had over 400 emails from other um, creatives telling me their stories and how, how they understand how it is being a female in, in the creative industry. And knowing that I wasn't alone, that really had me you know, inspired to really build this platform. So my voice was used a lot through posting online. And that's where I actually got most of my traction from just posting. And and, and then I expanded on that by creating actual Instagram ads that, that I, I made myself. So my strategy was seeing where I was, I was able to attract creatives. And creatives are easier because they are everywhere. And that was not an issue for me to attract them and to, and to have them um, hear my story and to understand, you know, why I was creating, creating, creating this platform. And it was harder for me to really get the clients who are, are going to post the jobs. So with that, I had to do a lot of searching on online to find job postings that were already on other sites. And then I would, I, I would um, send an email to the, 
the um the, the job poster and asked them, hey, I have I have a new um new platform that I, I just launched. Do you want want to post post your, your job on this um this site site for, for for free? And a lot of the creative all the clients were actually happy to have a new place to find creative. So they were all on board to be the first testers on my site to, to post their jobs. And then that's how I got got the, the first clients onboarded. But when I expanded on on getting traction, I realized that I had to be more aggressive. And for that, I I joined a lot, lot a lot of online um, community groups to help me to build connections on there. And I also did um, a lot of events in person to meet real life clients who are, are hiring creative or or need to hire them in the future and having them see me and hear, hear my story in person and building that, 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 that connection with them and that trust with them helped me to get more of the clients onboarded as well. Yeah, it's really great to hear that you were able to, you know, use an online presence to at least get the conversation going. Um, earlier this week, I recorded an episode with Brooke Latham, a digital marketer who founded her own um, digital marketing agency. And we talked a lot about thought leadership and the ways in which having that online presence can really help someone who, you know, even if they're not at that level where they're an executive at their company um, or a business leader for their organization. So um, that's definitely a great episode for listeners to tune into when it's launched, but it's fantastic to really see the power of just engaging online and building a sense of community. Yeah, for sure. It, it's really, it really helps to build a much better uh, connection to like to have 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 trust there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and especially when when you when you build your presence to a point where you have active, engaged um, followers who are liking your posts, commenting on your posts, taking the actions that you ask them to take in like the captions of your post, those people are also going to be very likely to want to sign up for whatever initiative you roll out or want to be some of your very first customers whenever you launch a new product or service. So, you know, there, there are a lot of, uh, case studies that we can point to that really prove that there's almost no way to get away with not having an online presence anymore if you have certain business and leadership goals. Yeah, for sure. And how are you testing your success in that first, say, like, six to eight months of your launch, uh, what metrics did you establish that would tell you that you're on track to meet your business's goals? 
I think I was more focused on how happy my clients and, and artists actually were and have been. So I track my, I track, track it by really talking to them personally. So I have a forum that I, I, I go in there and I, I talk to them to ask them, Hey, how are, are things, you know, going for you on the site? I also do a lot of email um, connections there to make sure things are, are running smoothly. And I have an open convo with them to, you know, have them tell me if things are not doing or not um, helping them as well as they, you know, hoped that it, it would for both parties, for clients and creatives. And I think I, I'm really excited about the traction and the amount of clients and artists I'm finding on the platform, but I'm also more concerned or more, um, yeah, more concerned about how they are finding jobs and how they are doing with them, building those connections. So when I feel I'm doing a great job is when I hear great comments and um, I talk to my creatives and clients and hear how I hear their their side, like their actual, you know, real responses to how it's running. So it's been really positive so far. So I, I'm happy about that. And I know that in the earlier days, it was, there was a lot of, tra- a lot of um, issues with our site. And that was really just a hard time in the beginning, but it was, you know, it's early. So I, I understood it wasn't to be, you know, perfect. So it was nice to talk to them and to, to know things that I had to fix and tell my team to fix or ask them to fix. Um, so to hear their experience firsthand and knowing that it's positive, that's I think how I, I measure it. Yeah, so you've been taking a fantastic qualitative approach to uh, measuring the way you're able to make progress with your business. And your business has actually grown to a point where you have a large waiting list of people ready to get on the platform. Um, And I can imagine, you know, this can feel both really exciting, um, but also in some ways a little nerve wracking. Um, But either way, what has this growth taught you about managing a business? I think first it taught me that this is a real need and that I am doing a amazing thing here that I that you know a lot of artists and clients want to have in the world. I also have learned that when I'm building a company I need to I would say have more faith in myself because if I did I probably would have expanded the site earlier on. So when I built this um current site version it I didn't expect it to grow as fast as it did, which was, I guess, me, you know, having not enough faith in myself, but to know that it has grown so fast already is an amazing sign. And I'm really proud of me for that and proud of what I have currently built. But I'm just, you know, a little sad that I didn't build it big enough with enough servers to really have all my onboarding list, you know, fully full. So I have almost a thousand on the waiting list. I'm, I'm trying to onboard so I 
think the important the thing I think what's important for me um to know in the future is to build bigger than I than I expect but not like too big so that I'm you know spending all all of this money for like nothing but it's so it's awesome that I know now that it is a real need and that this is profitable but I also know that I I, I should have expected it to be bigger than it was going to be or I should have had I guess my my goal for where I want it to be more defined before I launched mm-hmm. and um for our listeners uh one really great way to try to find that happy medium between um the size of your platform or the size um of your business is to do that early market research um before you even spend money to get things together or to outsource services to help you build that initial um market research can really tell you how much of a need your product or service is going to solve. It can also tell you if, you know, you're actually testing for the totally wrong thing. You might think that there is a really large need for something and end up finding out that, well, maybe it's not this, but it's actually this thing instead. So um, conducting that research early on can definitely provide some clues when it comes to uh, how big or small you should aim to be when you're just starting out. Um, and kind of shifting things more toward the money side a little bit. You mentioned earlier that you did spend a pretty significant amount of money out of pocket to fund your business expenses. So around um, about a year or so, a year and four months after you launched, you started seeking investment funding for your business. At what point did you feel like you were ready to take that step? I would say probably about five months or so in because after I launched, I did do a crowdfunding campaign as, as my first approach to raising funds. And that was great. I I did exceed our goal, but even that wasn't enough. So I think I realized when I had gone through these programs for um, uh, investor programs to help me learn the ins and outs of being a founder. I did about two, two of, of those programs this year and they taught me really about knowing my financials, um, my, my financials and knowing where I want it to be in the next three to five years. So when I was able to really dive into my modeling and understanding my customers and my growth and my um, financial projections that showed me that in order to reach these goals, I had to have way more money and, and more support 
And unfortunately, I couldn't do it on my own. So I think after I had done these programs, which I, I did, I did one in March, I mean, one that ended in March, about two months in, and then I did one that was 12 weeks long that I finished in October. And so that one was, I think, the best one for me because that one really was intense and, and had me really dive into my company much, much deeper than I, I had before. And I had a lot of investors there to help me learn how to pitch to them and what I, I would need for my growth and my funding and all of that. So I think understanding my goals and my future really told me that I needed a lot, a lot more support and funding to do these things. And were those accelerator programs that you were working with? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Tell us a little bit about what it was like to work with them. How did you, first of all, how did you uh, learn about accelerator programs? I, I feel like, um, especially to people who have never started their own business, um, this is probably like a totally new world to them. So how did you first find out about accelerators and how did you find them? And then what was that process like to work with them? I learned about the programs through the the Entrepreneurista League. Um, When I joined it, I joined that league in, I believe, May of last year. And I was going through a lot of the, the chats in that, in the forums there and there were other founders talking about programs for funding. And I talked to um, Stephanie, Stephanie Carton, sorry, um, from the, the founder of the, the Entrepreneurs League. And she helped me to connect with Annie Evans and Laura Cox, who were leading the first program I did for um, investor mentorship. And I was able to have that experience for about, I think, two months with them because of that connection from the, the league. And after that, I actually met a, a mentor through that program who helped me, who invited me to join her her next program for Boom Startup Accelerated Program that I did for the next two months. So basically, I learned it from other founders who have been through the fundraising process already. And I feel like that just reinforces the importance of networking and putting yourself out there and getting to know other people. Because, you know, when you're in the corporate world, you know, we always say, you never know where your next opportunity can come from. And I think that in the entrepreneur world, that definitely holds true as well. You never know who's going to be that person who uh, recommends you to a program or an investor or uh, recommends you to someone you can outsource to. Yeah, for sure. I think having that that um, connection really launched my uh, my drive for fundraising because I was scared to even do it and and I had no idea how to start so I think 
it was awesome to to talk to other founders who know you know who have experienced it and have them help me guide me through it yeah absolutely and what are some things that entrepreneurs should know if they're feeling like they're about to start fundraising from investors or they want to start to explore that as an option for their business it's really crucial to know your story for one thing and I mean I mean that by your why knowing your why and why you are building whatever you're building that's super important and to know the story behind it and to be able to share and tell it um, the right way is so important to investors but also obviously the financials are you know obviously a huge key and to understanding that understanding your goals how much you, you, you actually want to make per month, how much, how much you, you plan to make, you know, per year and how you are paying to uh, attract those, those clients over the next three years or four years or whatever. It's important to have a clear path in your mind about your, your um, strategy for marketing. And I think also that kind of ties into knowing your story because that will also help you building your marketing strategy. For me personally, like I found that helping helping me when I would share, you know, my story and my issues in corporate and how that really helped me to drive traction because of how I can understand my, my customers. So investors have told me personally, they want to hear your story. They want to hear why. They want to understand why this is important, why this is valuable to your customers and why this means what what it means to you because as a founder you, you have to believe in yourself and believe in your you know your company your service your product and if and if you are just doing it for the money it it kind of turns them off like even though they are really into money obviously because they're in, they're obviously it's their money and they're in, investors so it's important but they want to, you know, they want you to have that passion, that, and that story that, that, you know, drive. And that is what I have learned, even though I was always concerned more with the money side in the beginning to understand, like, cause I know how investors are really, you know, hungry for their, their money at times. But I, I believe personally, the story is actually more important. Yeah, I agree. And I, I want to reinforce what you said a little bit, um, because if if an entrepreneur doesn't take ownership and accountability and believe in their own product or their own story, then they, they're going to have a very hard time convincing a room full of strangers to believe in that company on their behalf. And also from a customer standpoint, you know, people like to feel like they are connecting with a brand or a person who feels similar to them. So having that story can really be key because, you know, you never know who might have also had experiences similar to yours you know yeah for sure 
Are there any money management tips you think that other entrepreneurs should know, especially when they're very early in the launch of their business? I would say it's important to have an idea about how much money you are going to need to put into your company early on, if possible. So I didn't do that clear enough when I first started. Um, I knew how much money I needed to raise a few months in, but I, I, I think that when you are running a business, it's important to be comfortable with money. And by that, I mean, if you are starting your company or even raising for your company, if you understand how much money you, or have an idea in your head about how much money you actually might need to start this or to build it or to grow it, I mean, um, you, I like to have it in a journal for me personally, because having it all in writing is clear to me to know. So I kind of, Say if if I'm like okay I'm gonna I need a hundred thousand dollars to start, then I have to figure out where it's gonna go. So I'm like okay so I'll spend like forty grand on building the actual product and then like you know twenty grand building you know the marketing part I don't know but like having it all in writing I think really having it clear to know where you are gonna 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 spend the money and having having that all like having the idea in your head makes you feel more comfortable with it so you're not as scared to lose it that I thought that wasn't like I didn't even know that was the thing that I was afraid of I wasn't I wasn't afraid of like losing the money I was just you know more excited to spend and build which is not not that great because if you're spending you know you're making money you're kind of having money lost and it's for me, it's better to have an organized mindset of where the money is going so that you are, I don't know, more comfortable with it and able to just not be so, you know, wasteful. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and within the personal finance realm, um, which is kind of my industry, um, we have a saying that basically goes like, uh, what doesn't get measured doesn't improve. So if you're not measuring um, the way you're spending money on your business, then you cannot improve the way you manage money for your business. And that's extremely important. Um, I actually also had a conversation um, with a bookkeeper for this podcast and we talked at great lengths about the importance of managing your money for your business really well so that episode's coming soon as well <laughs> <laughs> nice and just to wrap things up a little here are there any tools that you really think new entrepreneurs should consider using if they want to create a clear path to both reach their business goals and also be on the right track to eventually seeking investment funding? 
Mm, I don't know if I, I can say tools. I would say building connections to me is an important step to doing anything in business. Uh, so I would say your tool is kind of your voice or your um, your mind, to be honest, to just finding connections online, either on um, Instagram or LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn will help you to find other founders who are you are inspired by maybe or, or want to talk to. And I think it's important to talk to them if, if you are, you know, able to to reach out to them and ask some question or, or tell them, you know, you want to learn about building a company or talk to them about how you admire them, you know, about whatever they are doing. And if it's like aligned to what you want to do in the future or now, I think building those connections early on is a great first step. It has you feeling really inspired, really, um, really charged up up to to do something and it also will help you to learn a lot without spending tons of money absolutely and on that note thank you so much Portland for chatting with us tonight thank you for having me of course tell us where can we find you um, you can find me on Instagram at courtland.jones um, or you can email me uh, or find me on my my platform. Uh, and I think that's really it. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, friends. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Not Rich Yet podcast. Hit the subscribe button to Spotify or Apple or whatever platform you normally listen on knows that you enjoyed this podcast. And so I know you enjoyed this podcast. Make sure you're keeping up with us on Instagram so you can be the first to know when a new episode airs. We also post some resources that you can use along your wealth building journey. We're on Instagram as at notrichyetpod. And if you want to give me a follow too, I will not say no to that. I'm on Instagram as at the Jasmine Sue. T- H-E-J-A-S-M-I-N-S-U. I do all the planning and sourcing and emailing and interviewing, but this podcast couldn't happen without a few extra hands. Not Rich Yet is produced by Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and edited by Will Tarasha, founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions and the founder of Willie T Productions. I'm your host, Jasmine Suknanen, and I'll be back with more next week.